We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 111. Does this spark joy? My name is David Spill, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. How are you, sir? I'm very sparkly, David. How about you? I'm sparkling like a vampire. What can I say? <laughs> so, how was your week? We uh, we had a little bit of a, of a unique week this, this time around. Um, we got to be in the preview event for War of the Spark, thanks to Watsi for the invitation and the fully stocked account. Um, but I got to spend a day basically playing War of the Spark with you, and it was a ton of fun. Yeah, that was an absolute blast. Uh, I appreciate that you were able to take the day and come and hang out on stream all day. Like getting to play a new set early with one of my best friends while we stream and hang out with other friends. Like it, it was very enjoyable and it was super cool to get to play with some of these cards and, and see which ones I, I felt like I was right about, which ones I felt like I was wrong about. Like it was just an absolute blast. And so far, the new set reminds me a lot of Dominaria, which is, I mean, good things. That's in a lot of people's top fives. Yeah, for sure. We we saw some powerful things, we saw some broken things, and we just saw some normal gameplay, which is, I think, a good sign for this set so far, at least in Sealed. Um, I've seen some people that say maybe they didn't like the Sealed so much, but I don't think I really had a negative experience with any of the four that we did and then the two that I did on stream after that. I, I think I had a pretty good time pretty much all all day playing War of the Spark, so I look forward to seeing what the pre-release is like and what the what my my play, my Sealed, and my drafts will be in the in the near future. So um, yeah, it was, it was a ton of fun. We learned some things. So it's going to be a little weird. Normally we do our set reviews um, and we do them in advance of the pre-release and we kind of go through all the colors and just give you the highlights. But now we're doing a full set review and it's going to be split up between cards we played with before, or we didn't play with before and cards we have played with now. So we're kind of in that post we've had some games uh, with these cards. So we're going to see uh, obviously, it's going to change our evaluations. But was there anything from Red and Green that stands out to you that uh, that maybe would have shifted in your in your review now that you've you've played with them a, a little bit? Uh, I think the Chain Whirler Cyclops is a little bit worse than we initially thought it was. Uh, the mm-hmm. body is just not quite relevant enough. Uh, so that that was one of them. I was kind of higher on initially, and now a little bit lower on. Uh, I do stand by there's a place for Grim Initiate. I feel like it fits in. Uh, and you were absolutely right about Krinko. The upside of Krinko running away with the game if it's unanswered is worth the drawback of not being able to block. So I, I think I would shift um, the 4-4 Cyclops down a grade. I would keep Grim Initiate about where it is, even though people are still giving me grief for that, but it was fine when I played it. And I think Krinko deserves a bump up. I think one of the bump ups for me was going to be the one three, the uh, the one three that scries whenever you cast a non creature spell. Yeah, it was just pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah, I was a little down on it. I mean, it was like I thought it would be like just a below average two drop, especially in red. Um, but given that it triggers off of a lot of the things that you're doing, planeswalkers and and other spells, um, you just get that extra value. That scry is is, I, I think it's really good, and it digs you to your power, powerful cards. So. 
I think I'm a little higher on that than I was before. But other than that, I think I agree with you on those those grades. Red just the mana sink and red the like. I don't think we activated the chain whirler once. Yeah, um, there was just never a position to do so. Yeah. So um, and then the planeswalkers. I think um, like I think we saw Jaya. I think she was better than I thought she was. Tybalt was probably better than I thought he was. Um, so we'll have to see how the format shakes out, but it is pretty interesting to see. We, we, we played some cool decks. So I'm curious to see as we go through here, now that we've played some games, what our white and blue evaluation looks like. And that's what we're going to be doing today, which is pretty cool. So we're going to start with a Johnny's pride mate. We all know what this card does. One in a white free two, two, whenever you gain life, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Uh, card's fine. I think it was probably a B minus card in the last set we saw it printed in. And I think it's bumped down to a C plus, uh, there's just not as many ways to gain life, uh, but it's hard to argue with a two mana two two. And there's a few ways to gain life. So if you ever get that counter, um, it seems like you want to get the first counter like as an incidental thing and then proliferate off of it. Uh, but if you saw this in the last set, the core set, and we're you know obviously first picking it, it's not quite the windmill slam here that it was there. Yeah, I think it plays more like a two drop with upside in this set than mm-hmm. it did as like a build around in the last set. So I'm not going to take bad life linkers to enable this. Um, but I will, you know, if I'm playing it in white green and I end up with the 2-4 the mana dork that gains you life, you know, I'll drop one of these in, in a two drop spot over just a, a replaceable two drop just to have potential to get that extra counter once in a while. So yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's probably in that, that C to C plus range. Battlefield promotion, one and a white uh, for an instant. This is our combat trick in white. Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. That creature gains first strike until end of turn. You gain two life. What did you think of this one? We got an opportunity to play with this one a little bit. What did you think of it? The first strike was surprisingly relevant, gaining that until end of turn. It was, you know, allows you to kind of beat up on somebody when they're double blocking you. But it it played about like a normal combat trick. Uh, you're getting the first strike instead of plus two, plus two, which is kind of what we're used to on white combat tricks now. Uh, and it did remind me that having a combat trick cost two mana instead of one is really a big ask. Uh, so for me, I, I think I initially rated this as a C when I was doing the set review with Ethan. I think I'd probably go down to a C minus here as like getting that counter. It seemed like there were easier ways to do it. Uh, and a two mana combat trick just still kind of didn't impress me that much. So you can play it. There's nothing wrong with it, but I'm not excited about this. Yeah, th- that's fair. Um I thought it would be better in the proliferate deck than it was. It just didn't feel like there was ever an opportunity to get this down before your proliferate effects happened. Um, so, so it didn't it didn't necessarily fit into that deck the way that I thought it would. I, I think I would probably always play one of these if I had it in my deck, or like if I had the opportunity to. I, I think just having the first strike or having the combat trick, I like combat tricks, but I'm not going to go out of my way to pick these up. Yeah, agree. Bond of Discipline, four and a white for a sorcery. Tap all creatures your opponents control. Creatures you control gain lifelink until end of turn. We didn't actually play this card or see it played against us, but I think we should have an idea of how this will play in the format. Yeah, but this is an interesting one. Um, One of my stream viewers, Paul, compiled a chart where he's got the reviews from me, Ethan, Knox, Ben, Limited Resources, Channel Fireball, The Mana Leak, and Ryan Sachs on all the cards and the grading skills for all of them. It's actually pretty cool to take a look at. Uh, If you're interested in it, you can come by my stream and type exclamation point war, and you'll get a link to the page. Me and uh, Ethan were very high on this, and nearly everybody else disliked it. Uh, I feel like playing with it, like people were comparing it to sleep, 
and saying that it's not as good as sleep, so therefore it must be bad. Whereas I was comparing it to falter and thinking I'd probably play a falter in this format and thinking it's just falter with upside. It reminds me to an extent of the act of treason effect that we saw at six mana. And I said for the gruel deck, they don't care that it's six mana. They're going to have six mana. And I feel like this fills a similar role. It's an effect that you don't normally get in white and you're going to get some life gain out of it. So you can potentially in a board stall, and we saw a few of those, just wait until you can win the game. Or if your opponent has a planeswalker that you have to answer or they're just going to outvalue you, think something like Ugin, then all of a sudden this can allow you to do that and then gain enough life that you're not going to die on the crack back. So I, I think this card has enough flexibility that I would still stand by my my grade of B-. minus. That I think I'm. This is pulling me into white, and I'm interested in it just because it's such a unique effect. Yeah, I think so too. I think I'm with you on that one. Um, and it, I'm struggling to figure out if it, if there's a, an archetype that it doesn't go into. But I think all of the white-based archetypes will play this, and I think get value off of it. So I think it'll be interesting to see how fast the format is, how it shakes out in draft or or in sealed. Maybe it's the type of card you play in sealed, but not draft, or vice versa, or something like. We'll have to see, but. Certainly being able to clear Planeswalkers off the other side of the table and then not have to worry about the, the attack coming back against you is a big deal. So I wish it was 4-mana. I think 4-mana is an auto-pick for a lot of people at Uncommon, but I think the 5-mana is is maybe a little scary to some. So I, I can respect that some people are down on this card. I just don't think the casting cost matters for the effect that you're getting. It is worth noting that some of our decks had far less creatures than we expected, um, because we were looking to, to play as many planeswalkers as we could. So like the, obviously the less creatures in your deck, the worse this is going to be for you. Mm-hmm. Certainly one of the more controversial cards we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Ne- next up is Bulwark Giant. Five and a white for a 3-6. When it enters the battlefield, you gain five life. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. where I'm at. It's, it's a D or D plus. Like you can play it. I hope you got better stuff to do at six, but if you don't, this is fine. That's the thing is there's so many other things you can do at six mana, whether it be like a Planeswalker at like Arlen or just even just better things at five, like the five drop spot. There's just a lot of things that not necessarily in white, but even in in other colors. So the colors you're pairing with white, blue, black, whatever, there's just better stuff in the five and six drop spot, I think. Yeah, I agree. But it like if you have to put this in your deck, it's not embarrassing. The six toughness is surprisingly relevant. It is for sure. I'll, I'll give it that much. All right, Charmed Stray, which is a single white for a 1-1 at common. It's a cat that has lifelink. When it enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on each other creature you control named Charmed Stray. Now, we played Sealed, so this wasn't really going to be a thing in Sealed. Is it a thing in Draft, do you think? I don't think so, because the first one is a 1-1 lifelink, which is virtually relevant. The second one is a 2-2 lifelink for one, which is pretty good, but nobody was writing home about Child of Night. And that's not that far away from what the second one is. You have to have drafted, draw, and then resolve the third one. And a 3-3 lifelink for one has to be better, has to be so good that it can carry having a 1-1 lifelink for one in your deck. Now, obviously, if I can get 10 of these, yeah, we're talking. But I I don't even think in draft you're going to be able to get that many. Like, the common density just isn't there that you can reliably pick up enough of these for them to do the thing. Uh, So I really think this is a D. Like, the places I'm looking to play it is when my opponent is being aggressive with X1s. There's really not a lot of decks that are actually trying to do that in this format. So I I think it may even be worse than that and just something you you should avoid. Now, if there's nothing for you and you see it, sure, like, take it. And I think the number for me is five. If I have five, I'm happy to play these. Yeah, I I agree. Kind of, like... 
there's so much worse than those wolves that got plus one plus one for all the other wolves that you had. I don't remember. It was like one of the one of the core sets, and and those were great because you got a two two for two, which was like you're playing those all day. The fact that this is a one one for one, I think, really brings me down on it. Like if you bump this up to a like a like a one two for two with this with the same ability, I think I'm a lot higher on it because it gives the opportunity to double block and it feels a little bit more valuable than just just junky one one. Oh God, um, make it a two one and we're in business. Or, or make it a two one and we're in business, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty out on this card, but I'm sure somebody will draw, draft a deck with five of them. I don't remember. Somebody calculated what they thought the number, I think the average number of the, these would be in a given draft. And I want to say it was around three or just below three, but I could be wrong on that one. Um, but it's not high enough that you can just like be guaranteed to have this deck every single time. Yeah, for sure. All right. Defiant Strike is a single white for an instant. Target creature, creature gets plus one plus zero until end of turn. Draw a card. This is generally speaking not something you want to include in your deck. Uh, it does cycle for one mana, but you could just put an impactful card in your deck instead. The fact that it's not granting any sort of ability that's going to let you win a combat is pretty bad. We ended up having to run one of these as filler, and I can say it definitely played out like an F. Like, I wish mm-hmm. it just hadn't been in the deck and should have run 19 lands instead. Uh, so just stay away from this. It's pretty bad. Yeah, the fact that you can get battlefield promotion in your combat drops bought instead makes this completely irrelevant i think um give it plus one plus zero and first strike and draw a card and now we're talking but it's just the x the one point of power just doesn't do it anywhere it you want to protect your creature with your combat trick agreed divine arrow one and a white for an instant it deals four damage to target attacking or blocking creature yeah, this one's actually pretty dang good. Uh, mm-hmm. Getting to play with this, it seems like it kills a lot of the relevant things in the format. Four toughness seems to be a magical number. Um, I ended up rating this as a C plus when I was doing the set review with Ethan, and I would stand there. I'm not. I, I'm probably going to first pick this out of some packs, but it would be a relatively weaker pack. Uh, and that said, if I see one, I don't know, third, fourth pick, I'm probably going to snatch it right up. The thing that I noticed is that I was really interested in keeping the board clear in case my opponent stuck a planeswalker. So if my opponent was on the play and they went two drop and then, you know, three drop planeswalker or something like that, and I didn't have anything on the board, it was really difficult. But it was even worse if I did have something on the board and they had two blockers. So I found myself wanting to kill things whenever I got the opportunity so that I could pressure planeswalkers when they came down on the table. And Divine Arrow was really good for that, where, you know, I could use it on a two drop early, you know, stick my three drop and then hopefully prevent them from playing a planeswalker because they don't have a blocker for it or when they're throwing their creatures in front of it i could divine arrow those and then get their planeswalker on the next turn for example yeah it reminds me to an extent um and this is not a new card we've seen this as gideon's reproach before but it reminds me to an extent of essence scatter you can use this on two or three if you have to and then it's not dead when you draw it late so that's probably why i like this card so much is it's usually going to do something at all the various stages of the game and i i tend to value that quite highly in limited yeah absolutely enforcer griffin four and a white for a three four flying with flavor text yeah, I ended up rating this a C. I didn't get the opportunity to play with one. I never had one in a white pool with white that I wanted to play. But I can envision there's a lot of board states where I'm pretty happy to cast that. The evasion and ability to pressure planeswalkers is obviously pretty good in this set. And it comes down and blocks a lot of relevant things. So it's rated at a C. I think it would be a little better if it wasn't a 5. Like maybe trim off some stats and lower the casting cost. It might be better because you can't just jam a million 5s in your deck. But I think I'm pretty happy with the first one of these. 
Yeah, I, th- I think the first one's probably like a C plus for me, to be honest. Um, you know, being able to have evasion, I think, is going to be big in this format. And I like I like my four toughness flyers. Like, it's really tough to, unless your opponent has a bunch of flyers, it's really tough for them to block a 3-4 flyer profitably. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the three power really pressures Planeswalkers, um, specifically the common ones, but it also puts enough pressure on the, on the, the rare ones in combination with either a combat trick or some other attack. So I think I really like this card as far as common five drops go. Yeah, agree. The question is, is just do I have enough room for them in my deck? Yeah, and that's that's what I meant with the five drop tags. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next up is our first Mythic in White, Finale of Glory, X, White, White. For a sorcery, create two, or sorry, create X, two, two, white soldier creature tokens with, with vigilance. I don't know why they're not knights, but that doesn't matter here. If X is 10 or more, also create X, four, four, white angel creature tokens with flying and vigilance. This card's really good. Uh, I ended up writing this a B in the previous set review I did. The 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 worst case scenario for this is a, a scathe zombie. Right, like if you have to, but you could like if you just cast it on four, you've got Call the Cavalry, which we were already pretty okay with. Like that card's great, and then it just scales up every turn you wait to cast it, or every extra mana you dump into it. Obviously, if you cast it for twelve, you're going to win the game, but like you probably should have cast it before then because it's pretty dang good at any point you can cast it. You know, six mana create you know four two twos. That's ridiculous. I think like six is probably the break point for me. Like if I'm casting it for, for five total mana, so X is three, I'm probably not thrilled with my mythic doing six power and toughness. But if I'm casting it for four, for, for eight power and toughness or more, I'm pretty pleased with the card. Um, I don't think it's quite a level, um, but I think it's just under a level for me. So like there's a lot of cards, um, obviously that I would pick over it in the mythic and rare spot. But given that this is a mythic, I'm probably picking it first out of most packs. Yeah, that's that's why I ended up with a B. Like, there's certainly cards that are better than it, but I bet it's my first pick every time I open it. Yeah, exactly. For for sure, for sure. Uh, Gideon Blackblade is next. One white, white for our uh, legendary Planeswalker, Big Gideon himself. All right, there's a lot of text on this one. As long as it's your turn, Gideon is a 4-4 human soldier with Indestructible that's still a Planeswalker. So normally you have to activate Gideon to get this ability. This, he's just always a creature on your turn. And you prevent all damage that would be dealt to Gideon during your turn. Then his plus one is up to one target creature you control gains your choice of Vigilance, Lifelink, or Indestructible until end of turn. Which is a bit of a weird ability. You'd expect to get maybe all of those. And then minus six is Exile Target Non-Land Permanent. uh, And he starts with four Loyalty. So you kind of start with Gideon. Is This is mostly a three-mana 4-4 that can't block. Mm -hmm. Right? So to defend himself, he lets. It's worth noting that his plus one is up to one other target creature. It it wouldn't make a lot of sense to give him vigilance because he can't block anyway. He's not a creature, uh, but it does allow him to defend himself with the two drop, and it can still attack or something like that. So like Gideon is naturally at home in a deck that can either defend him some other way and then allow him to attack planeswalkers. Because there's not a lot that can block a 4-4 in this format. We'll, we'll get to a few things, but there's certainly nothing at 3 mana or less that can tangle with him. Uh, so I, I think generally you want to pick him pretty early and put him in most of your decks and just be aware that like Gideon wants to be attacking. Uh, I think I came down and rated him an A. He may actually be an A- and play like that. But for the efficiency scale, like 3 mana 4-4 can't block. Every turn give one of your other creatures, you know, keyword soup, your choice. I, I'm pretty happy with this card. 
Yeah, especially if it comes down and gains you a bunch of life if, if effectively, right? Like, if you have really good attacks, you can gain, you know, three or four life on one swing. And then if he gets attacked, you're also gaining life on that exchange. So it's it's like, he has to be answered, effectively. Um, you won't win the game with him outright. Most of the, like, or sorry, some of the time. Um, but there are board states where, you know, if he is unchecked, he will just tick up a couple of times, remove your best thing, and now you're in trouble. So... I'm yeah, not, kind of in that A minus B plus range. Yeah, not to mention he's been beating you in the face as a four four for several turns. So I, I think that's the actual value of Gideon. He's surprisingly tough to block. Like I was thinking, like oh, but I'll have like a two five on my side of the table. And it's like, did we ever play a two five? No. Did we? Did we ever play a one five? The answer was no. Maybe we should have. Um, but yeah, he, he's pretty tough to deal with. So typical planeswalker. Got to get it off the table. All right, Gideon's Sacrifice is a single white for an instant. Choose a creature or planeswalker you control. All damage that would be dealt this turn to you and permanents you control is dealt to the chosen permanent instead, if it's still on the battlefield. Yes, that certainly matters, because if they're able to remove it at instant speed, you're going to be pretty sad. Um, I rated this a D. Uh, other grades ranged from, like, F to C-. minus. Like, I get what this is doing, and I know the dream scenario is you attack in, they line up their blocks in such a way that all of your creatures are going to trade, and then you're like, surprise, they're not. Instead, only one of my creatures is dying, and I get to pick which one it is. But that board state just doesn't really happen that often. The fact that it can means you still need to sort of respect this. Um, and the fact that it could do that and fog for a turn, which could conceivably be relevant to protect your planeswalker that's going to win you the game next turn, or perhaps let you crack back for lethal. Like, there's situations where fog is the, the absolute best card that you could have in your hand, they just don't come up that often. So for me, I would rate this a D, as in it's something I typically don't want to play, but I can see where it has applications, and some decks might be interested in it. Yeah, I don't see myself ever playing this. I'm going to give it a D-. minus. Not quite F, because I might play it out of the board or something like that. Um, the best play that I saw against me was... I. There, my opponent had, like, four Planeswalkers on the other side of the battlefield, and they were all good static abilities or good active Planeswalkers. And I went to attack one, and they just redirected it to one they didn't care about. And it's like, oh, really? Like, I did. I worked so hard to remove that Planeswalker, and you killed the one that didn't do anything. It was, like, Teo that was the one that died or something like that. And it's like whatever just get out of here i don't care yeah gideon's triumph is one and a white for an instant target opponent sacrifices a creature that attacked or blocked this turn if you control a gideon planeswalker that player sacrifices two of those creatures instead uh we've played with celestial flare before and it's usually okay it's usually okay and this one's actively even better because you can't mess up and do it in the wrong step which you certainly could with celestial flare um, generally speaking, we're not super hyped about edicts, although they're usually playable and limited. In this case, you've got the opportunity, if they're attacking you with, I don't know, a giant flyer and something on the ground, you can block the something on the ground and kill it, and then after combat, play the Gideon's Triumph to get rid of the flyer. So I, I think this has some additional um, flexibility here that I'm pretty happy with. Uh, so I rated this one a C plus. I think it's more or less interchangeable with Divine Arrow. I think I prefer the Divine Arrow, but this does get things that Divine Arrow doesn't sometimes. So there, there's... Maybe you want a split of them? Yeah, I guess if you have the choice. Now, this one's uncommon. Divine Arrow's common. You're not going to see them like... You're not going to have the opportunity to get as many of these. Uh, but I, I, I still feel like Triumph might be a little better, but not so much better that it gets a full bump up in, in letter gra grade. I agree. 
I did soul read my opponent for one of these in like the second game that I played, which was great. I attacked with my O3 that had put its plus one plus one counter on something else, and my opponent shatter paused before taking the damage, and then they like Gideon triumphs me later somewhere along the way, and I was like, I gotcha, I knew it. So, point of fact that the O3 does not have defender. By the way, we'll get there in a second. Can we just skip God Eternal Oketra, just give it an A plus and move on, or do we have to read it? Read it, then give it the A plus, and then go on. All right, three white white for a three six creature, a zombie god with double strike at mythic. Whenever you cast a creature spell, you make a four four zombie warrior creature token with vigilance. The vigilance, I really, it had to have vigilance. And then when it dies, it has the god ability where it gets tucked back into your deck. Um, yeah, it, it's a stupid card. Yeah, it's just as good as advertised. It's a phenomenal card. You should first pick it literally every time you see it. If you're solidly red black and open this impact to your white now. Yeah, you're white whatever you open. Mm-hmm. All right. Grateful Apparition. One and a white for a 1-1 flying at Uncommon. When it deals damage to a player or Planeswalker, proliferate. Yeah, clearly a build-around card, because I don't want this in a deck unless I've got a bunch of counters rattling around anyway. Uh, it is evasive. It can do the thing. But like I've also found this format, at least so far from my perspective, to be quite powerful. It's not that it's fast, but it is powerful so if you stumble your opponent's going to land something significant and important on turn three four or five and you need to be able to interact with it and i'm not sure that this does in a meaningful way so i ended up grading it kind of like a b build around but i I think it may actually be a little worse than average it felt like the things that proliferated in green were so much better than the things that did it in any other color that i'd rather just play green if that's what i want to do i think i would pick this highly in pack three if I'm already in like a green-white proliferate or a blue-white proliferate. But I don't think I want to pick it as highly in pack one if I don't know that I'm going to get there because this is bad in like red-white. It's bad in like white-blue or or white-black. It's really good in green-white, I think, and heavy on the green. But like you can can get those proliferate cards somewhere else. I'd rather take the landfall proliferate or, or other things like that. So I think this will be good just not good in all decks. And I think that's the important. So I think the build around is probably probably where I'm at on that one. But yeah, I agree I, I with would... your assessment. Like, look for this in pack three if you're already in the deck rather than, you know, pick it early and see about getting into the deck. I, I think so too. All right, Ignite the Beacon is four and a white for an instant at rare. Search your library for up to two Planeswalker cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, and then shuffle your library. We got got by this one on stream, didn't we? We did, and it was beautiful. And it's one of those situations where I called this an F. I don't think it's actually an F. I think it's a D. I think, generally speaking, you don't want to be spending five mana to draw two specific cards. Um, However, if you've got one of the Planeswalkers that's absurdly powerful, and you're white, and you see this late, maybe we can talk. Like, after playing with Ugin a little bit, that card's terrifying, and it will win you the game. Uh, so having a second copy of it, even if I've got to tack five mana onto it, I might be able to get away with that. Uh, but generally speaking, I'm I'm not taking this anywhere near high enough to reliably see it. No, but if you've got like an Ugin and a Sarkin in your deck, this this goes in for sure. Because getting either one of those at end of turn, at end of your opponent's turn, knowing you can resolve it because they've tapped out or whatever, like that's huge, I think. So that's the only time I would play this card. Yeah, agree. All right. Ironclad, Crovid, Crovod, two, a three and a white for a two five with flavor text. See you later, Pillarfield Ox. Yeah, no kidding. Strictly, strictly better. 
Um, except the other one was an ox, so maybe there's some kind of ox subtype in Commander. But yeah, it's it's whatever. Like, I thought you'd need to defend Planeswalkers, but I I, I haven't had a deck where I've like, oh man, I got to get this two five in my deck. I I want to be attacking with my four drops. Yeah, I think the one pl- thing about the play pattern with Planeswalkers that we didn't really take into account is that these don't have ultimates. They just sit there and continue to accrue tiny amounts of damage. So, like, slamming one and then trying to defend it with blockers didn't really seem to be a legitimate strategy. So I ended up rating this a C initially. I think I'd probably bump it down to, like, a D plus. Like, you can play it, but I don't really know why you would want to. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm out on that one. D, definitely D for me. All right, Law Rune Enforcer is a single white for a 1-2 at common with the ability 1 and a tap. Tap target creature with converted mana cost 2 or greater. Just as good as advertised. Yeah, this is the best white common. Um, it, it's worth noting that you're never top, tapping your opponent's army with this. So like that's kind of why it's, it's set up the way that it is. But this is Icy Manipulator on a stick. Uh, I had sealed pools that had two of them. I was happy to have two of them in play. Had no problems sparing the mana to tap my opponent's best creature. And like there were situations where you tap something end of turn, untap, tap something else, and kill them. Uh, I rated this a B minus when I did the set review with Ethan, and that's too low. Um, I'm not sure if A minus is too high, so I'll go with B plus for now. Uh, but uh, keep your eye on this. Like I'm probably first picking this out of most packs where I open it. Yeah, I think anything in the A territory is not correct because that's reserved for like our planeswalkers. Like I'm taking Gideon over this, but it's like I feel real bad that they're both in the same pack to be honest. Yeah, yeah, which is saying something about the power level of this card. It's absurd. It, it's absurd for sure. Uh, the fact that it's common is really good because you should be able to get one if you're white a lot of the time. Um, take it early and take duplicates. Yeah, and if you get one of these fifth pick, you're white now. Just go ahead and settle in. Absolutely. All right, Loxodon Sergeant is three and a white for a 3-3 with Vigilance. And when it enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain Vigilance till end of turn, and it's at common. Um, I rated this a D+, and I kind of stand by it because I was like, well, I'm going to play this and attack their Planeswalker and defend mine, and it just didn't play out like that. It was Ah. more like, here's a hill giant that maybe lets one of my irrelevant creatures not attack. It's it's not very good. The, the thing about the four drop spot is you're eating up spots where your planes, like a lot of planeswalkers are going. Like there's a lot of four drop planeswalkers that go in this spot in your curve instead. And just playing it like, like a three, three for four. It just doesn't, I can have a four, four for four. I can have like a two, five for four. I can have a flyer for four. There's so much else that I can do for four mana. You know, Tamiyo's epiphany for four mana that this just doesn't do enough. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm out on this one. I, I think I'll never play this. It's it's also possible that our opinion is very skewed by playing sealed because mm-hmm. we were guaranteed to open six planeswalkers. We're in draft. We're only going to open three. So like things may change. We may have less planeswalkers than we think in draft. But early play experience shows that this played about like I thought it would. Yeah. All right. Makeshift battalion two and a white for a three two. Whenever it attacks and at least two other creatures attack, put a plus one plus one counter on makeshift battalion. I really like the throwback to battalion here. I have to give. Uh, wizards kudos to that one yeah i think this is a solid c um i got to play with it some it wasn't ridiculous to get a counter on it once you did it was a relevant creature and it's already decent on curve like i was pretty happy with this i'm not excited about it but it was fine um i really liked that uh comboing it with a trusty pegasus and like throwing away like a like a junky army token or something like that to, to get the plus one plus one counter on this and really start going off. I thought that was a really interesting play pattern. So I kind of like this. It's like a C. I'll probably always play them, but I'm not going to draft them highly, obviously. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. All right, Martyr for the Cause, one and a white for a 2-2. When it dies, proliferate, and it's at common. Yeah, we ended up writing this one about a C-. It's it's fine, it does something, but your opponent gets to choose basically when it's going to happen. And what often happened with it was you played it on 2 and ended up blocking a 3-2 with it and not actually getting any value out of it. Like, it's not bad to have stapled on a Grizzly Bear, but I feel like this format isn't defined by Grizzly Bears. You do need some of them, but it didn't feel like we were going to have to pick them particularly early. Uh, so I, I, I kind of stand by the C- minus here. Yeah, it's definitely worse than the Ajani's Pride Mate. Yeah. Right? Like, like, like I feel like you're going to gain life more often than this is actually going to proliferate. Um, I mean, that being said, like, in, in a heavy proliferate deck, I'd certainly prefer to have one or two of these just for the accidental proliferate sometimes. It does get a little bit more value in the late game than the Ajani's Pride Mate would. So I'm kind of in that, like, C-minus range, but, I mean, that's two drop for you. Whatever. Yeah. All right, Parhelion 2, which is a vehicle in white. It's 6 white, white for a 5-5 vehicle, legendary, with flying first strike vigilance, and whenever it attacks, create 2 four, 4 white angel creature tokens with flying and vigilance that are also attacking, and it's crew 4. Well, it does basically say if you can cast this untap and crew it, you win the game, but I still ended up writing this a D, uh, and, and by that, I don't mean that the card is necessarily bad, just that you can't throw this willy-nilly into your white deck and actually think that you're going to win with it, because that's 8 mana. Like, for 8 mana, I want the card to say win the game, and this one does if you can untap with it and get an attack in and they can't remove it, because uh, you'll, you'll probably have that done. So what I mean by D is you really need to build around this one a little bit. Uh, have some extra lands, have some ramp, have a plan for staying alive to get to 8 mana and then having a 4-4 in play that you don't necessarily need. Uh, if you can pull all of that off and get an attack in with this thing, it's going to close out the game pretty dang quick. This to me is a green-white card. Yeah, that's actually a reasonable way to think about it because you're not playing this without any ramp. Yeah, so you, you ramp it out on like turn 6 and then your mana dorks that cast it get to crew it. Yeah. And and, that, and that's, so like, this is almost the gold card to me. Um, I don't know if I'm quite D on it. I might be like a C minus, but the problem is, and I run into this problem a lot, is that I'm never going to pick this high enough to to play it because other people are going to pick it higher than me. Yeah. And they're going to put it in their, you know, 16 land white deck and lose and not understand what went wrong. Absolutely. But it, this is going to be like a groan test. It's like, it's going to come down and I'll be like, oh my God, I cannot beat this card. Just beat me with your angels. You know, you're going to hit me for 13 next turn and I can't do anything about it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Pouncing Link Links is one and a white for a 2-1 uh, at common. As long as it's your turn, Pouncing Links has first strike. Uh, this is the two drop I'm looking for in most of my white decks. Like, if I'm going to play a two drop, it trades with most of my opponent's two drops, which is what I'm looking for. And it has better attacks, which is kind of neat. I found it a little bit difficult to block these initially. It is worth noting a lot of core, uh, colors are sporting one threes these days, and the Links doesn't really threaten them that well. Uh, but at least they're staring at each other, so the two drops are kind of answered. Uh, so the the play pattern with this was kind of just fine, so I, I rated this one a C. Sure. I, I wish it was a 3-1 without first strike, to be honest. I think yeah, that me attacks too. A, I think that attacks a lot better in this format, especially with a lack of, like, 1-1 one, one tokens. Um, except, you know, obviously army, army tokens aside, but um, it's it's fine. Like, I'm in that, like, CC minus range. I don't, I don't care. The, like, a lot of the white two drops are pretty replaceable. This one does play pretty nice with combat tricks. It does. That is true. That is true. 
All right, Prison Realm is two and a white for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, exile target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls until it leaves the battlefield. When it enters the battlefield, scry one. So basically, after everything was said and done, they told Bolas to go to his room and think about what he did. Yeah, and they stripped him of all his power, it looks like. Yeah, looks like it. Uh, he this, got no egg. Like, we can argue about whether this is a B-plus or an A-minus. Um, I, I, I don't think that's super relevant. The card is obviously very good. It's one of the better removal spells you're going to get. Uh, and I'm going to first pick this out of a lot of packs where I open it. This might be the best remo- one of the best removal spells at common or uncommon in the set. Yeah, because like, just whatever it is, it is no longer a problem for me. Like, I... Th- I probably pick this over Obnixilis's like minus five minus five spell because of because of the the extra scry value, but the sorcery speed does does bring it down a notch. So it's, I think it's really close between the two. But I think those are like one two in the format, whichever order you put them in. I don't think you can be wrong. Yeah, agree. All right, Rally of Wings is one in white for an instant. Untap all creatures you control. Creatures you control with flying get plus two plus two until end of turn, and it's an uncommon. Yeah, I'm kind of out on this one. I ended up rating it a D, and I think that's a pretty pl- safe place to put it. Uh, in, even in a heavy flyers deck, like I'm not sure that this is doing enough for it to be worth an include. And it's also encouraging a play pattern that I don't particularly like, which is trying to use a defensive combat trick. Uh, using combat tricks when your opponent has a bunch of mana up is always scary, and you know, doing it on your opponent's turn to untap and block with them makes me scared too. But, like, again, I'm not saying it's entirely unplayable. If you've got a decent number of flyers uh, and you're willing to use it offensively, I think you could get some value out of this. But I, I'm not going to pick it highly. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just, unless you're playing, like, big butt dot deck, so you're playing a bunch of two fives, um, it's going to be difficult to get value out of your guys on the ground a lot of the time. So, I don't know. It it seems like it's better when you're ahead because you're smashing in with your four fours and your three threes that your opponent can't block, and then you get them on the crackback because they think you're in a race. That's yeah. really the only scenario that I see this being any good in. So I'm 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 off on this one too. All right, Ravnica at War is three and a white for a sorcery at rare. Exile all multicolored permanents. Yeah, this really has to go in the sideboard, uh, which means for me, like I'm not going to play it in best of ones. And if we're drafting in a best of three scenario, it's it's going to start in the sideboard. I'm not even sure that it's necessarily great there. Um, but it, it's one of those cards that I, I I wouldn't hate bringing in if your opponent has a multicolored bomb that you just can't beat and you don't have many. But that's the scary part. Like, you never know when you draw it. Like, you have to evaluate it based on the board state. Uh, so for me, this is strictly a sideboard card. Yeah, this is really in, like, my opponent has a Planeswalker that I can't beat a lot of the time because I think those are most of the multicolored cards that are very good in this set. There's mm-hmm. the rare cycle, you know, of of legendary creatures or, or, or spells or whatever. Um that, that this can also get, but I think it's mostly to get the planeswalkers you can't reach out and get normally. But I, I'll, I'll probably never get to cast this card either. Mm-hmm. All right, Rising Populace is two and a white for a two-two at common. Whenever another creature or planeswalker you control dies, put a plus one plus one counter on Rising Populace. Unruly mob. Yeah, sort of like a unruly mob that starts out a little better, but only triggers on your own stuff. Um, I was I, I rated this as a C synergy. I think it may just be a C. Like, mm-hmm. it actually played out fine. I, I was initially a bit leery of playing a Scathed Zombie, but it didn't feel like it took that much work at all to get this thing going, and I was pretty happy with it once it did. Uh, so I, I think this card is just probably playable in most white decks. I think really you just need a plus one, plus one counter on it, 
and then you can do your proliferate stuff or you can get another thing killed, right? Like once you get the one plus one plus one counter on it, it becomes a threat that has to be respected, not necessarily answered. Um, and, and because of that, I think I, I definitely give it like a C, maybe even a C plus for me, to be honest. I think I take it, there's there's not a lot of white three drops. Um, and I, I think I probably take this at the top of the white three drop chain, at least at common. Yeah, it doesn't look that bad. All right, single combat is three white-white for a sorcery. Each player chooses a, cre- a creature or planeswalker they control, then sacrifices the rest, so you get to keep one thing. Both players get to keep one thing. Yeah, we got to play with a card similar to this in the original Innistrad block, and it wasn't actually very good, so I kind of don't think this will be either. The The main reason is you're going to keep your best thing, they're going to keep their best thing, and they untap and get to add to the board next. So, like, that that Wrath could be good for you. It could be bad for you. It depends, like, is the thing they have left going to beat you? Um, so, like, a Wrath I would always play. If this was just five mana, destroy all creatures and planeswalkers, like, that's a no-brainer. Put that in your deck. But the fact that they have a choice is always going to make it a little difficult. So I ended up writing this at a D, just because I've played with the effect before. Um, it, it can do some interesting things in conjunction with cards like Rising Populace. If that's the last thing that you keep, it's going to be huge. So, like, it's it's not that there's not combos with it. It's just that you can't always control what your opponent has on the other side. And that's a little scary. Yeah, I missed the last line of text there, where players can't cast creature or planeswalker spells until the end of your next turn. So not only do the, does your opponent get to go first, but they get to go first the whole turn later. Yeah. So you don't get to do anything next turn uh, in terms of creature or planeswalker spells. So... Interesting, but um, probably a card I'm never going to cast. Sunblade Angel, 5 and a white for a 3-3 Flying First Strike Vigilance Lifelink at Uncommon. I rated this a C-, and I was wrong. Uh, It's at least a C+, maybe even a B-. The fact that it is Vigilant, Lifelink, Flying, and First Strike, that's a lot of keywords. It's really good at pressuring Planeswalkers while simultaneously protecting them. Uh, so this card has got a lot going for it, and I should be picking it higher than I initially thought. Uh, so there's going to be packs where I'm like, well, we didn't get a good removal spell in the pack, but here's a Sunblade Angel. Let's take it. Uh, and I'm pretty happy with this. Interesting. I don't think I have, I've had an opportunity to actually play with it yet, so I'm curious. I'm going to hold judgment on it. it. Is it too slow at the six-drop spot? No. I think we'll have to see. You don't think so? All right. No. That's fair. You, you can't play five, six drops in your deck. You've probably oh. got room for two or three, and I'm very happy if this is one of them in my white deck. All right. That's fair. All right. Teo the Shield Mage is two and a white for a Planeswalker with five loyalty. It's static ability because it's a com, uh, an uncommon. You have Hexproof. And then it's minus two is you create a zero three white wall creature token with Defender. Yeah, this played out more like Teo the Speed Bump, and it wasn't particularly great. Uh, Stuff got big enough, quick enough, that it could kind of steamroll past the walls, so they weren't actually defending anything that mattered, and they certainly weren't defending Teo because nobody actually cared to attack Teo. Uh, So they kind of just were speed bumps. Um, I rated this at a D. That may have been too generous. I'm not entirely convinced this is limited playable. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty close to an F on this one. Um, maybe there's a scenario where you want like to defend your super friends deck, but this doesn't I even don't... do it. Like, it's not it, that hard to get three power. It's really not. There's a lot of three power things in this set, so like you're just throwing your walls in front of things to gain some life. Like, I I'm out on this card for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. That being said, this is an, a zero three that I like. Teo's light shield two and a white for a zero three at common. 
When it enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Yeah, we pretty commonly get five points of power and toughness for three mana in most colors. Like, think about a 2-3. This is a 1-4 by itself uh, that you can then proliferate onto. It doesn't have Defender. You can attack with it if you need to, and I've seen that come up already. And if you'd rather have the counter somewhere else, you can certainly do that. Uh, so if you're able to draw this later, it's a three drop that can still have some impact if I can give that uh, counter flying or haste by putting it on something that, that can attack now that it couldn't before. Uh, or maybe trample or some some other sort of evasion. So I was pretty happy with Teo's Light Shield. I, I think I end up giving this one something like a CC+. Plus. Like this this is a card, like I'm I'm not... I'm not excited about it, uh, but it's it's probably going in every white deck where I have one. So I initially rated it as D+. I think it was wrong. It's probably just a C. Yeah, you're probably right on that. I mean, maybe maybe, maybe like a C- minus or something like that, but I'm certainly interested in playing them in a proliferate deck, something where I can spread my plus one, plus one counters around. I think you're right. interested in playing it in any white deck, because again, blue-white's going to have flyers. Like, just stick it on a flyer, or play a 1-4 and block. Like, it's interested in both of those effects. That's fair. I don't think I'd play it in red-white. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe black white. There's certainly a sacrifice. Like out, like you can feed this to other things to draw cards or whatever. Plus one, plus one counters. However, that deck plays out. You don't want to so, put a counter on your Krinko? Oh, putting your counter on Krinko would be pretty sweet. But how many red white decks have Krinko? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> Just ours. All right. Tomic Distinguished Advocist is a white white uh, two three at rare with flying and then a bunch of text that doesn't matter in limited. Uh, lands on the battlefield and things can't be targets of spells and blah 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 blah. Yeah, it's it's this card is remarkably efficient for what it does. I rated it a B minus. It it played more like a C plus. It was a little difficult to cast. You're not always going to guarantee it on turn two, uh, but it does come down quickly. Is very efficient at beating. But it's worth noting that it's rare. And the rest of white, while it's inter- it's certainly interested in attacking, it's it's not really looking to like curve out with a bunch of powerful two drops. Um, it's it's more looking to land a few things, maybe get a trusted Pegasus going and start the attack from there. Uh, so I, I think I like C plus for Tomic, but if, if you're at B minus level, that's probably fine too. But I think I'd still take the first Gideon's Reproach over this. Yeah, it's definitely like a C plus or even a C, like it's probably like a C plus for me. Yeah, I'm never gonna get to pick it. Like unless I get like seventh pick and I'm already white, it's like sweet. I got a two three for two. That's great. I love those things. Topple the statue is two and a white for an instant. Tap a target permanent. If it's an artifact, destroy it and draw a card. And it's common. I was pretty sure this was going to be a sideboard card for artifact removal. And after playing with it some, I can say this is definitely a sideboard card for artifact removal. Don't put this in your main deck thinking you're going to tap a creature and destroy a planeswalker because you're not. And don't think that it's okay because it cycles because it's not. The reason cycling was good is if it's on a six drop and you don't have six mana and you need to find six mana, you can cycle it and go look for that. And if you top deck it later, it's actually an impactful card. Uh, this one basically only cycles. Uh, so like I, I ended up rating it as a D and I think that's where it goes. Put it in your sideboard, bring it in if they got an artifact you need to blow up. Uh, otherwise, try not to main deck this if you can avoid it. With the, the Law Rune Enforcer at common, there's never a need to pick this card. Yeah, you just don't need this. Yeah, I'm, I'm D minus or F even. Trusted Pegasus, two and a white for a two-two flying uh, creature at common, and whenever it attacks, target attacking creature without flying gains flying until end of turn. So I said Law Rune Enforcer was probably my top white common. This is probably pretty close to it. 
Yeah, this is a B minus. Like this is actually a draw into white. It's so good at like launching something up in the air to hit people with. Like maybe this is why we didn't get a three one at common. Is because that'd just be unbeatable. Well, I mean, we've had three ones with the one three Pegasus before. Yeah, and when that was at common, that was miserable. Uh, so true. perhaps they've they've taken that out because like I felt like on the play if they went you know three one into one three flyer I was like well the game's basically over at this point because I I can't block that uh, so you you need to save a removal spell for trusted Pegasus because your white opponents are going to have one and I think I take the first law rune enforcer over this I may actually take the first Pegasus over the second enforcer uh, but what a good problem to have I, I, I'm with you with the one one split on that one I think I think I want one of each for sure. Um, I don't remember what I gave the Law Rune Enforcer. This is a half grade below it, or even a quarter grade below it, if I'm going to be uh, picky about it. Yeah. All right. The Wanderer. Uh, she wanders round and round and round and round. Three and a white for a Planeswalker. Five loyalty. Prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to you and other permanents you control, which is surprisingly relevant. And minus two is Exile Target Creature with power four or greater. I rated this a B minus, and I think it it played out close to that. But I I've come down to I think this is almost a reverse sideboard card, meaning I'm going to main deck this every time. And if for some reason my opponent doesn't have enough targets for the minus two ability to to reliably hit something, I'll take it out. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I think you you pick the first one of these pretty highly and put it in your deck. People were arguing that like. You know, it, it doesn't have enough targets. It's not always going to kill something relevant. Like, this is a repeatable Smite the Monstrous. And in most formats where we could, we would play one of those. It had the benefit of, at instant speed, it could catch combat tricks, whereas this can't. Uh, but as you mentioned, her static ability is remarkably relevant. Like, burn spells aren't killing your creatures. Uh, fight spells aren't killing your creatures. So there, there were a lot of interesting things that this did in addition to just being able to nuke things twice. So I think I still pick it at a B-, minus, but do be on the lookout for decks that don't care about her minus two, and then just take it out if, if you're playing against one of those. Yeah, it's not it's not dead against red. It's not dead against green. It's kind of dead against blue-white. Yeah. And and black-white and, and, and things like that. But anything that's playing red and green... For sure, it's live against. So, um, and even sometimes white and blue, you'll get some targets. But so, I, I'm with you on that one. Definitely B minus for me. Um, might be. It might be one of the like like better uncommon planeswalkers. Like I'm I'm if I have to first pick this, I'm not sad about it. I guess is where I'm going with that. Yeah, and it can hit the army tokens, uh, which is relevant if they get big it's enough. Super relevant. All right. Only a couple more left here. Wanderer's Strike, four and a white for a sorcery. Exile target creature, then proliferate at common. Yeah, I feel like I want to pick the Law Rune Enforcer and wield this. Uh, so I ended up writing it a C plus. It played a little bit better than that. Uh, the proliferate wasn't particularly relevant, but sometimes you just need something that's alive to not be. Uh, and this is really good at doing that. Uh, so yeah. I, I think I stand by that C plus rating. I probably want one of these in my white decks. And if I end up with two, I'm pretty all right with it. The incidental pro- this this feels like an incidental proliferate to me, mm-hmm. not like a like I'm playing this for the proliferate. And I, and I think I like that. I think that I like that extra tacked on. So I'm probably in that C plus range for the first one. I think they go down significantly significantly in value because of the five the five drop spot. Yeah, um, but I, I definitely want one in my deck for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, and finally we have Worst Creature, which is one in a white for a one three flying at common. And it has the uh, activated ability five and a white plus tap. Other creatures you control get plus one plus one till end of turn. I think this is probably my favorite of the common white two drops. 
Uh, we got to see the threat of activation on this actually do something. It comes down early. It blocks. It attacks. Like, we've seen 1-3 flyers for 2 mana in white and blue pretty consistently over the last few sets. And they've always overperformed. And then just tacking a free mana sink onto one certainly didn't hurt. Uh, I, I still don't think I can go super high on it. So it's a C. Uh, but I do think it's a little bit better than the other white 2 drops if I get to have my choice. Yeah, I'm I'm game with that one. I would play... Unlike the other ones, I would be pretty happy if I got like two or three of these because they they are pretty consistent and they're all they're decent late game. But if I had like two or three like a Johnny's Pride mates, unless I have any kind of life gain synergy, I'm not really terribly interested. Like they're just two twos. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that's it for white. Um, what's your overall take on white? I dig it. It looks like you can be aggressive with white, but you don't necessarily have to be. Uh, the Law Rune Enforcer and the Pegasus variant at Common, I think, are going to make white a very strong color to be in in your War of the Spark limited draft. So I would be on the lookout for those two cards in particular, plus a, a pretty reliable removal suite with the Gideon's Reproach effect at Common. Yeah, it, it does it all fairly well. It's got good creatures, good removal, good Planeswalker at, at Uncommon, I think, in the Wanderer. Um, yeah, I, I I think this is a really good main color in this set, for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, uh, swim on over into blue. Okay. And we'll start with Ashiok Skulker, which is four and a blue for a 3-5 Nightmare. Three and a blue, Ashiok Skulker can't be blocked this turn. You know, I thought this Mana Sink would be better than it than it than it was, but I, I don't think I ever really had an opportunity to activate this in any of our games. Like, I don't think we had the ability to play this and activate it. Um, maybe that's just because we always want to be building the board. Maybe that's because there weren't as many board stalls. So I think I'm a little lowered on this one than initially uh, when I when I came through here. Um, but I think, I think I want one of these at least in my five-drop spot if I'm blue. Yeah, I, I ended up writing it a C plus, thinking that the ability to just smash into Playwoods Walkers was going to be pretty good. I got to downgrade that to a C. Um, it, it does a lot of work. Like, 5-mana 3-5 has always been reasonable. Uh, like, Nakamura used to say that Bastion Mastodon was one of the best cards, or what was it, Thraving and Pure Bloods and Innistrad? And this still certainly does that work. In addition, having a place to dump some extra mana and just crack in for a few points of damage at a Planeswalker can be relevant. Uh, so I think I'm happy with one, and that puts it at about a C for me. Yeah, I think I'm at, at C for sure. I think any more than that, and I'm probably much lower on it. Uh, Augur of Bolus for me is one and a blue for a 1-3 Merfolk Wizard. When it enters the battlefield, look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal an instant or sorcery. If you do, put it in your hand. The rest on the bottom of your library and in the order. I mean, if you want a 1-3, you're going to play this. If you're in the Spells Matter deck, you're going to play this. But it's pretty solidly a, a D for me. I think there's better 1-3s that I want to be playing. There are, but that for me makes it around a C or a C-. minus. Like, a 1-3 in blue is usually an effect that I'm interested in. I wasn't always super happy with it. Uh, but I, I think people get a little too stuck on the fact that they're very rarely going to hit with this card um, and and think it's worse than it is. But it's it's always going to be at least a C-. minus. It's going to blank some two drops from your opponent and every once in a while draw you a card. Uh, mm -hmm. But certainly don't count on that. Okay. Uh, Avon Eternal is two and a blue for a 2-2 two -two flyer when it enters the battlefield amass one. This is a solid B for me. This is... I, I this overperformed. I thought it would be good, and I think it was better than it was. Like this is one of the top blue commons for sure. Yeah, this card's just busted. I rated it a B minus. That's too low. It's probably just a B. Don't sleep on the fact that like 
seeding your amass, like seeding your army within a mass one, and then going into a bigger amass thing on the next turn. Like, don't sleep on that combo. That is very big. Like, people may look at this and be like, oh, it's just a 1-1. Like, who cares? Like, no, it's like a 1-1 that's going to be a 3-3 next turn with haste or whatever, right? Like, you have to think about the potential of your army. And there's some interesting breakpoints I found, I think, with a mass is, like, a 1-1 is obviously not great. But, like, a 1-1 to a 2-2 is pretty good. A 2-2-2-3-3 is really good. And then, like, the 3 3 4 4 range is probably about the same. And then that break point to a 5 5 is also very good. So, That's like, going huge. from 4 to 5 is huge. So, like, a mass 1, you know, is either seeding you that and then giving you the potential to go off on the next turn or potentially bumping that, that 4 4 to a 5 5. And you get a 2 2 flyer. I love 2 2 flyers. Yeah, for, two, for, for 3. Like, it's a Windrake with upside. This could have easily been a 4 drop, and people still would have put it in their deck. Yep. Agree. So, I love this card. Uh, that brings us to Bond of Insight, which is three and a blue for a sorcery. Each player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard, return up to two instant or sorcery cards from your graveyard to your hand, exile Bond of Insight. Travis loves this card so much that he's cracking, he's crying, he's tearing up over this card. I'm tearing you know, up for the people who might actually put this in their deck incorrectly. <laughs> I, there's there's a very specific home for this card and that and is obviously that blue red spells deck that we didn't ever see come together and sealed now it's in your trash can uh because even the blue red spells deck would rather play uh the common variant we'll get to in a little bit tamio's epiphany there you go D- don't yeah, play no, this I'm, I'm i'm d minus for sure yeah this is a d for me callous dismissal is one and a blue for a sorcery return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand amass one this is probably my one of my front runners for most a controversial common so you look at it and it's a bounce spell at sorcery speed and you're like oh man we have bounce spells at instant speed why can't this be instant speed and then you flip that around on them and you say wait a second it's a it's a two mana one one mana war and they're like oh man i love mana war this card's awesome yeah, it's it's interesting. I was pretty happy with bounce in recent sets because there was this pants strategy where you'd play a small creature, put an aura on it, and then try to ride that to victory. And we don't see that in this set, uh, which is fine by me. I, di- I didn't care for that strategy very much. The 1-1 one, one is basically irrelevant, and you're not breaking up a combo by bouncing the thing, but there's actually enough amass cards in blue, black, and red that you can start building your army from here. Uh, so I, I think this card ends up being playable, if not absurd. So I ended up kind of taking a chicken's way out and writing it as a C. Um, I, I could see somebody getting two or three of these and actually turning it into a real card, though. It's probably, like, closer to a C plus, maybe? I don't know. Like, flip this around. Like, like seriously, if this was just a two-drop that was a 1-1 one, one that said return target and online permanent to its owner's hand, people would be falling over for this one, I think. Well, I, I don't because I played with Man of War when it was originally printed in Visions. And what happened there was in, in that format and in Magic formats past, a 1-1 wasn't actually relevant. Whereas a 2-2 for 3 was kind of standard creature size at the time. So that made Man of War like ridiculously overpowered. Um, and then we saw it become relevant again in future incarnations because of this pants strategy and auras being pushed. So, like, the issue is the 1-1 certainly isn't worth it. If it was a 1-1 bounce a creature, I'd never play it. The fact that this 1-1 can grow is, I think, where you actually have something. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that it destroys armies, too. Yeah, for sure. That's that's pretty dang cool. 
pretty relevant. So maybe maybe you're right on the C, uh, but definitely like I definitely was down on this card originally, and I think I'm up on it a little bit more now. Yeah, I, I was down when I thought it's not instant; it sucks. And then as I started thinking about it, I was like, "There's something here." Yep. Uh, commits the end game. Got to see this one in action. Uh, four blue blue for an instant. This spell can't be countered. Draw two cards, then amass X, where X is the number of cards in your hand. Uh, I think this card will be very good. I haven't had the opportunity to play it, but I certainly think it's like probably in like the B range. Yeah, I rated it as a B. Uh, it was kind of like a torrential gear hulk that always draws you a divination uh that's actually what it played like where they just flash in a five five out of nowhere draw two cards kill one of your dudes it was pretty miserable and if your opponent plays around it by not attacking who cares cast it anyway and kill them with it yeah agreed a very good card contentious plan is one in a blue for a sorcery proliferate draw a card you know it's interesting i didn't think that there was a place for this card and there, I think there may be a place for this card. I just don't think it's in a lot of decks. I think this very specific deck this goes in. Blue-green with a lot of plus one, plus one counters. And now you're cantripping and like giving an anthem to your team. That doesn't mean that I'm ever going to pick it or I'm ever going to play it. But I can see this being playable in that very specific deck. So like a, like a build-around or like synergy card... I think is the best way to describe it if you want to steal a term from the, the some of the other podcasts or people that do reviews. But um, other than that, I think it's probably like a D or a D minus. Yeah, I think it's just a D. I still think there's better ways to proliferate if that's what you want to do. Uh, it, it is a cantrip, so you could do it in some spells, matters, shenanigans, but I think it's just a D. Uh, sure. Crush Descent is three and a blue for an instant counter target spell unless its controller pays two, a mass two. We have first-hand experience with this card. Yeah. It's awful. It's bad. It's too expensive. By the time you can cast it, the, the tax is not relevant, and now you're paying four mana for a 2-2 two, two, or two plus one plus one counters on your army, and it just doesn't do anything. Like, it's so easy for your opponent to play around, and even if they don't play around it, they're accidentally playing around it because it comes into play so late. If it was a three-mana spell instead... With a mass one, I think it would be significantly better. But in this in this iteration, it's not playable. Just don't put it in your deck. Yeah, I, I thought this was going to have some potential because the mass was just going to be so good that we'd play all of the mass cards. Uh, but I played this in a sealed deck and then played against it, and it was just awful every time I saw it. Uh, so I initially rated it a D plus. I'm gonna tell you true. This is an F. Don't play it. You just never. There's never an opportunity to hold it up. Yeah, it was terrible. Right, so many better things to be doing on four. Erratic Visionary is one in a blue for a 1-3, one in a blue tap, draw a card, and discard a card. Have you actually activated this yet? Yes, multiple times. I've had two in play at once and activated both of them, and it was awesome. Okay, I have yet to activate it, but yeah, it, it's awesome. It's like, what, like a B- minus for the first one? I, I put it at C+, plus, uh, but it's it sure. may actually be better than that. It's pretty close. Yeah, just the... Like, you need to hit all your land drops, and there are some good mana sinks, but there's not a ton to do with, like, your seventh land drop or your eighth land drop. Your ninth one is basically you losing the game. And having something that can come down early, attack and block, and then later cash in that land for something relevant was kind of a big deal. Yep. Up next is Eternal Skylord, four and a blue for a 3-3 zombie wizard. When it enters the battlefield, amass two zombie tokens you control have flying. What did I give the uh, the Avon Skylord like a like a B? Yeah, 
this has got to be like a B plus. Yeah, I think maybe the, the Avid Eternals a B minus, and this is a B. But who cares? That's, it's really that's good. Better. Yeah, this is probably not quite B plus, but this is certainly a, like in in terms of where it fits in the B ranking, this is higher. I want I want these for sure. This is this is the five drop I want in my blue deck. Yeah, because so often when we, I was able to resolve this, I already had a zombie token laying around, and just the surprise flying from it was relevant. Even when it wasn't having a three three blocker. Uh, and then a 2-2 flyer in the air for 5 mana, I was pretty dang happy with. And, like, that's the worst case scenario for this card. It's pretty rare that blue gets 5 power and 5 toughness for 5 mana. Spread across two bodies, which makes it better for blocking. And better for exactly. attacking in this case. Exactly. Like, so Basically, Colossipede uh, with upside. Basically, I love it. Uh, Fibblethip, the Lost is one in a blue for a 1-1. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. If it entered from your library or was cast from your library, draw two cards instead. When it becomes the target of a spell, shuffle it into its owner's library. Again, this is a card that I'm never going to pick because other people are going to value it higher than me, but I would be glad to put this in any blue deck I'm playing. It's just not great, right? It's it's fine. It's like a C+. Yeah, I put it as a C plus as well. It functions in limited much in the same way that Elvish Visionary would, or mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember the actual name for Seinfeld, uh, but the Dark- Dusk Legion Zealot, I think it was, yep. from Innistrad, like, or <laughs> Ixalan. You just put those in every deck that could play them, and you were happy with them. Yeah, the the Seinfeld had the upside of being a vampire, too, so sometimes you get some of that synergy, but this is it's fine. Like The thing is, is like I would if I open this in my sealed pool, I'm not sad. That I didn't open a better rare, because I'm going to tuck this in my blue deck every single time. And it, it does do things, so it's okay. Um, interestingly is the second ability, or the second line of text on this, I have actually considered like firing off a a fight spell, like the, the band together spell, on this plus something else to get this shuffled back in my deck so I can maybe draw it later and draw an extra card. <laughs> That's pretty spicy. It's kind of spicy, but I never got the opportunity to. I'm like, there's a there's a little play pattern here, but no, it's really just a one one that cantrips you, which is which is fine, which is fine. Uh, now the next card I know you don't have any experience with. Uh, Finale no. of Revelation is X blue blue for a sorcery. Draw X cards if X is ten or more. Instead, shuffle your graveyard into your library. Draw X cards. Untap five lands. You have no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. Exile finale of revelation what turn is the best turn to cast this on turn six fun story i had nissa who doubles all of your green sources or all your forests the mana from all of your forests and i had a mana dork and i was able to cast this for x equals 10 on turn six so 12 total mana on turn six uh drew 10 cards and i forgot originally that it untapped five lands so this is actually the second time that i cast it for x equals 10 the first time i cast it for x equals 10 in sealed i forgot that it untapped five lands and i was like oh man i'm just gonna draw 10 cards and like what's my opponent gonna do they're gonna hit me for four and i'm gonna win the game next like in two turns and then i remembered that i got to untap all of my forests and have 10 mana available to me to play all of the spells that i just drew bananas now you're you're not gonna do that you're not gonna do that Medium case scenario for this card is X equals four. So drawing four cards for six mana. It's pretty good in that scenario. This is like the best top deck in a lot of cases. In like as long as you're not losing the game, this is the best top deck you can get in your blue deck. I'm like probably B plus on this card, I think. 
I, I rated it a B minus. I think I'm still there. I, I don't tend to like card draw as much as other people do in limited. I did see you do some nasty stuff with this card. <sighs> so dirty. But I think now that you've experienced the best case scenario, you may overvalue the card just a tiny bit. Uh, but I think B minus is a solid hit for this because I, I still think commits the end game might actually be better in most limited situations. Um, because this one doesn't scale. I mean, this one scales up marvelously, but like the other one, I, I could potentially use to, you know, actually affect the board too. So I, I see both sides of this one, but I think B minus is a good place. Yeah, I definitely want Finale of Revelation more if I'm in a board stall and we're top decking. Yeah, I I want commence the end game if because of the instant speed and because I can do and get my opponent with it. Like finale, you're not going to get your opponent with it. Um, finale combos really well with ramp. That's the best thing I can say. But you're right, I am. I'm a little skewed on that one. I'm a little biased because of my ridiculousness. Niss is busted, by the way. Can we go back and re-rate her? Because if you're ramping anything, she's busted. All right. I got a simulant hot take for you here. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to read this one and drop some knowledge on you and then ask you to come at me. Flux Channeler <laughs> is two and a blue for a 2-2 human wizard whenever you cast a non-creature spell proliferate. This card is garbage. The body is not relevant. And none of your non-creature spells have counters on them so you're not actually proliferating on anything. So you can't put this in a Spells Matters deck because it doesn't do anything. It's not attacking, it's not blocking, and there's just better ways to proliferate. This is a D. Planeswalkers. Yeah, okay. So you're proliferating Planeswalkers and then your opponent attacks them and kills them because you've got a 3-mana 2-2 in your deck. No, it puts plus one, plus one counters on things when you cast Planeswalkers. So it's not just instants and sorceries, it's non-creature spells. Um, so, so could be relevant. Um, it's not. It's a 2-2. I don't, think, I don't think I'm as down on this card as you are. I think this is this is a build-around card, or this is a this goes in a build-around deck. So if you have a very specific proliferate strategy in blue-green, not blue-red. Blue green. I think this is this is a there's a potential for that here, um, and I just don't take think the good play... green cards that do it. This one sucks. That's the problem. Is that the, a lot of the green cards outclass this one, especially in that three to four drop spot, right? Like the the landfall proliferate and 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 cards like that. I'm not quite D territory or F territory with you. Probably like a C minus or or a D plus. Okay, at least I talked to you there. I'm marking it a D and moving along. That's um, fair. Now, I do want your thoughts about this next card, because I think it's very interesting with a lot of nuance. Mm-hmm. God Eternal Kefnet is two blue-blue mm-hmm. for a 4-5 flyer. You may reveal the first card you draw each turn as you draw it. Whenever you reveal an instant or sorcery card this way, copy that card. You may cast the copy. The copy costs two less. When God Eternal Kefnet dies or is put into exile from the battlefield, you may put it into its owner's library third from the top. So my question for you is, is a 4-mana four 4-5 four, flyer that's really hard to kill actually good and limited? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> this you is think the, so? I don't. I don't care about the rest of the text. You could. Yeah. It could be a, a four mana four <laughs> five flyer, and I don't care about the rest of the text. We played Spawn of Mayhem or like the the Doom Whisperer, right? Things like that. This is basically the same card. Yeah, this card's busted. This card uh, busted. Uh, pick this early. All of the gods are in the A range. I think this yep. one's right up there. If you ever happen to spike a spell, you're going to be happy. Uh, Jace Wielder of Mysteries is one blue 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 for a four loyalty Jace. If you would draw a card while your library has no cards in it, you win the game. Plus one target player puts the top two cards of their library into their graveyard, draw a card. Minus eight, draw seven cards. Then if your library has no cards in it, you win the game. Uh, it's great. 
like howling mine, uh, one-sided howling mine. I'm sorry. Um, not quite patient rebuilding, but pretty close. Harder to cast. Yeah, you can take this up and mill your opponent uh, if you like. Don't get too focused on the alternate win con. Um, although it's not bad to mill yourself a couple times too and maybe spread the love around. Do be aware that at triple blue, he's a little bit difficult to cast, so that matters. Um, but I think the card is quite strong. Um, I rated this a B. After seeing it in action, it certainly played like that. Like, mm -hmm. you just plus it a couple times, and you've got a, a lot of card advantage over your opponent. Agreed. Jace's Triumph is two and a blue for a sorcery. Draw two cards. If you control the Jace, draw three instead. Honestly? Fart noise. You can get Tamiyo's Epiphany at common. Yeah, so this is an uncommon, like, Tamiyo's Epiphany doesn't make this worse. Like, one thing that this can do that that one can't is you're stuck on three lands, you need to find more, it does that for you. But this is basically Divination, and I suspect it's going to play like that. So I put this one at a C, uh, just because, like, being stuck on three and getting that fourth land drop is pretty significant. But at Uncommon, you're not going to see it that much. Uh, but don't pick it higher just because it is an Uncommon. No, I think I'm a little lower than that because I think you can get the Looters at Common instead. So if you get a like a loom like if you have a looter and you have the epiphany, I think that's better than having like a Jace's triumph and anything else. I can respect that. Yeah. Okay. Casmina uh, Enigmatic Mentor is three and a blue for a five loyalty planeswalker. Spells your opponent's cast that target a creature or planeswalker you control costs two more to cast. Minus two, make a two-two blue wizard creature token. Draw a card, then discard a card. I am in love with this card for many reasons. Not only is is the art fantastic and she happens to be a redhead, but also the ability on the token, or, or sorry, the ability on her minus two is amazing, and her other ability, her static ability, is also relevant. I love everything about this card. Obviously, it's not quite an A, but it's certainly probably in that B, B, B minus range, a little worse than Jace. A little, probably a lot worse than Jace, but um, maybe we just underrated Jace. But I'm certainly first picking her out of a lot of packs. Agree. I think she's quite good. Uh, this next card has actually seen a little bit of contention. Uh, Kazmina's Transmutation is one in a blue for an aura. Enchanted creature loses all abilities and has base toughness and power 1-1. One, one. Can we all just agree that the blue enchantment that removes a creature or pseudo removes a creature is like the same in every format and we can just move on with our lives? No, David, because armies. It doesn't kill armies. Oh my god, it doesn't matter. It kills everything else. Yeah, and that's where I'm at, which puts this in the C plus range, bordering on B minus territory. Like it was the the one ones were still relevant, but I turned very relevant creatures into one ones and was happy that I was able to do it. How else do you want to kill gods? This is the way you kill the god in the format. Yeah, I, I think anybody that's saying that this is unplayable is really missing the boat there. Whoa, people are saying it's unplayable. No, that's that's ridiculous hyperbole. I can see like saying like. I don't want these. I want my removal in my other color. But like, if you're if you're blue green and you don't get the band together, you're gonna play these cards. Get out of here. LSV said it was terrible, as did Ben and Ethan. So like, there are people saying that this is really really bad. He rated it a one, which is the lowest rating he can give a card. Uh, and Ben and Ethan uh, put it in a D. I, I think it's actually a C plus. I, I just I just don't see how you play blue and not have removal or counter spells like. In, in maybe in other formats where you comparing it to like water knot and stuff like that, this becomes a D. But like, this is how, what we get. How can you rate this anything lower than like this is your only removal spell in blue? Yeah, you're gonna play it. You're gonna play it. Kiora's Dam Breaker is five and a blue for a five six when it enters the battlefield. Proliferate. 
sneaky good in the six drop spot, right? Yeah, I thought this was going to play out like a C minus, and it was actually a little bit better. So I'm going to put this at a C. Like there weren't really better six drops to be playing in blue, and it felt like I always got a counter on something when I played it. Powerhouse in green blue, and if you have like random planeswalkers sitting around, like this is pretty solid. I'm in that C range for sure. It's it was also just huge, like which was surprisingly relevant. You want to attack planeswalkers? Do it with this. Mm-hmm. Lazatep Plating is one in a blue for an instant amass one. You and permanents you control gain hexproof until end of turn. Nah, I'm off on this one for sure. People have compared it to Negate. It's not quite that. Negate would actually be, I think, reasonable in this format because you could hit Planeswalkers. This is only giving you the counterspell if they try to remove one of your dudes. And the removal, like, it's okay, but it's not wonderful. And the Amass 1 isn't wonderful either. Uh, so I'm putting this one into D. I could see it coming in from the sideboard against an opponent who's running mono removal dot deck. Uh, but outside of that, I don't want it. D minus me on that one. Uh, Naga Eternal is 2 and a blue for a 3-2 Zombie Naga. It, it's fine. I like the three power, but like it's not any better than a C minus or a D plus. Like I'll put them in my deck if I have to, but whatever. Ne- never excited about it. Yep. Uh, Narset Parter of Veils is one blue blue for a five loyalty planeswalker. Each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. Minus two. Look at your top four. You may reveal a non-creature, non-land, and put it in your hand. Rest on the bottom in any order. Uh, when your opponent has a Narset on the table, do not cast the Tormenting Voice variant. I found that out the hard way. <laughs> Don't cast any Sorcery Speed card draw spell. Yeah, that was so bad. It was that was that was awful. I think I was AFK at that time, and I came back to you doing that. Yeah, you left, and then you came back and realized you can't leave me alone. I actually got into a game where I had to remove Narset because I had multiple card draw spells in my hand and nothing else to do. And it was like, I have to find a way to kill Narset so I can cast my sorcery speed removal spells. Or, sorry, uh, card draw spells. It was a pain, but, like, I don't think I ever really want to play this card outside of a very specific deck. Which is, I have a lot of planeswalkers or instants and sorceries that I care about. Yeah, and that relegates it to a D for me. Like, I have seen the card shine already, uh, but I don't think it's something I'm going to pick necessarily early. Agreed. Uh, Narset's Reversal is a rare blue-blue instant. Copy target instant or sorcery spell, then return it to its owner's hand. You may choose new targets for the copy. I mean, obviously this is a constructed card, but, like, I can see this being pretty... Like, I can see this being playable and limited for sure. Um, it, it's like your negate... It's it's similar to to Lazatep plating, except you're removing your an opponent's creature most... Like, a lot of the time, and... It'll, a lot of your opponent's decks, most of your opponent's decks are going to have some kind of removal spell. Um, it's just hard to keep up and hard to cast. So I don't think I'm ever going to pick this because other people are going to pick it higher than me. But like C minus, like I would put it in a deck if it was in my sealed pool. Uh, it's a D. That's fair. Because they still get to keep the spell. And like it's cute. You can cast one of your own spells and then use this to copy it and keep your own spell and kind of give it buyback for a turn. But like, nah, I don't want it. No, I, uh, think, I think you're gaining you're getting man advantage on your opponent, like tempoing them out and removing a a card on their side of the table, I think. Yeah. And if all of that goes well, I think you've got a solid card, but that Mm -hmm. requires you to hold up two blue for the entirety of the game. That's kind of a big ask. Yep. Um, No escape is two and a blue for an instant counter target creature or planeswalker spell. Uh, If it's countered exile it scry one. Uh, I mean, it's it's the only counterspell we're ever going to play in this format outside of, like, Dovin's Ban or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. 
so if you want to counterspell this is what you get it's like a c minus like it's either this or transmutation so pick one as your removal spell in blue I was pretty happy with this. I think transmutation is a better actual removal spell because it can answer something that's actually landed. But like compare this to essence scatter. Obviously, it's not as good at three mana as two, but it can fill your three drop slot. Uh, if you're on the draw, maybe now a planeswalker. You mentioned a lot of them at four that are relevant. So I was pretty happy to have this in my deck. I think C minus is a little low. I rated it a C plus, and it it played out more like a C. Like just kind of pretty good filler. Thinking back to Transmutation, I think I understand why a lot of people are down on it. Okay. There's a lot of proliferate and plus one, plus one counters going around. So I can see, like, there's times where it doesn't deal with the thing you need to deal with because that thing you need to deal with has three plus one, plus one counters on it, not just armies. So I can see the fact that people are, like, I can see people being down on it because it doesn't, it doesn't white, it doesn't deal with all threats equally. Yeah. So, whereas, like, no escape, as long as your opponent hasn't played that threat yet, it will deal with it. So, I, I can kind of respect that 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 aspect of it here. Yeah, but I, I still don't think you can call it unplayable. No. Uh, Relentless Advance is three and a blue for a sorcery, a mass three. I, I think this will also be a controversial card. Uh, Ryan Sachs had some interesting talks on... Actually, he talked for, like, 30 minutes on his, like, preview stream about this card, which is kind of crazy. Um... This really fits into that whole a mass plays differently at different points of the game. If you're curving two like a like a two drop bounce spell at sorcery speed, a mass one into another a mass thing into this is very good. If you're just playing this for four mana, it's not as good, but I don't think it's unplayable. I think it's I think this is like in that like if you have a, a, a decent amount of a mass, this is probably like a C minus or a C in your deck. If you don't have a lot of a mass, don't play this card. Yeah, I, I rated a C plus synergy uh, because I think if you've got enough other amass incidental creators in there, you're pretty happy with this. And if you don't, you're, again, probably better off without it. Okay. Uh, Rescuer Sphinx was two blue blue for a 3-2 flyer. When it enters the battlefield, you may return a non-land permanent you control to its owner's hand. If you do, it enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it. I'm sorry, uh, four mana flying four three? Yeah, or a 3-2 if you really don't want to bounce a non-land, uh, but if you want to reuse an Enter the Battlefield ability, why not? I'm sorry, but if you're playing green-white, or, or sorry, blue-white or blue-green, that you have two drops and three drops that you can play that put plus one, plus one counters on things. Uh, so this is 95% of the time, I think, for me, it'll be a 4-3 flyer that rebuys some kind of value on the other side. Um, I love this card. I'm going to first pick it out of a lot of packs, I think. Yeah, I think it's quite good. The, the double blue does somewhat limit where you could play it, but this is a snapping drake with upside, and that's always been a good magic card ever since it was introduced, so I'm I'm pretty happy with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you end up rating it? Like a B-? minus. Yeah, I think I, that's fair. I think I take Kazmina over this. Yeah, I it's think, close. I think I just rated it a B. Like, I think it's actually pretty good. Okay, so compare compare this to Kazmina, honestly, because I think that's a fair comparison. Okay, um, with Kazmina, I'm getting four four worth of stats spread out over two bodies and two loots, which is pretty cool. And then a static ability that isn't super relevant. With this, I'm getting four power that has flying uh, in mm-hmm. a, a format where I can pressure planeswalkers and a counter. So maybe I can do some proliferate shenanigans and potentially rebuy some Enter the Battlefield ability. I, mm-hmm. I think I'd rather have this. I think that's fair. I don't think you ever have to make that decision, but I think it's 
I think is pretty close. So I'm I'm okay giving them the same grade. Okay. Okay. Uh, Silent Submersible is blue blue for a two three vehicle crew two when it deals combat damage to a player or planeswalker draw a card. <sighs> I think I'd really only want to play this in a deck that has a trusty Pegasus. Yeah, that's how you're actually getting your card out of it. And you're going to have to tap something else in order to give this flying, uh, which I don't think adds up to something wonderful. Like, the the, the initial comparison is to Scroll Thief, uh, which was a 1-3 when it deals damage to an opponent, you draw a card. And we were always pretty happy with that. With this, we've got we've to jump through some hoops to cast it on turn two anyway. And then we've got to jump through more hoops and that we kind of have to tap another creature to do it. So it, it kind of compares, I think, closer to Rogue's Gloves than it actually does to Scroll Thief because it's kind of an equipment that I'm putting on a creature for a turn um, and that creature is always going to turn into a 2-3. So like, I don't think it's unplayable, but I, I think it kind of works out to a D. And I think you figured out what you're supposed to do with this is give your submarine flying, which makes a lot of sense flavor-wise. <laughs> it does. I don't know. I just wish it had some kind of evasion or something like that, like some kind of way you could reliably get through. There's just too many 1-3s that people are playing. Mm-hmm. You're like, never connecting and, with it. And people are just going to block. It's like, I don't care. I'm going to throw my 1-3 in front of your, like, what are you going to do? Combat trick me in your blue-black deck? Like, no. <laughs> like, that's just not going to happen. And whatever. Like, I traded my 2-drop for it. It doesn't, it, it's, I'm out. If it was crew 1, and I could go, like, 1-drop into this, but even then, or, like, I guess, I guess that doesn't even draw you the cards. You need to go, like, this into something. I don't know. I don't see you ever reliably drawing a card off of this. So, I'm out. Yeah, same. Okay. Uh, Sky Theater Strix is one in a blue for a 1-2 flyer. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, it gets plus 1, plus 0 oh until end of turn. I know people are pretty high on this card. I I guess it's just a 1-2 flyer for the most part. Yeah, this is trash. Anybody that's high on this card uh, needs to read it a couple more times and really grasp what it's doing for them. It It's a non-spell in your Spells Matters deck that is maybe poking in for a little bit of damage. And that's not, from what I can tell, how those decks are looking to win. Uh, They're looking to win by kind of churning through, accruing advantage, and then playing one or two big spells that actually matter. And, like, this isn't helping you while you're doing that, and it's a miserable top deck. Uh, So this is a D for me. Like, it's not entirely unplayable, but it's certainly not a good magic card. I think you can't sleep on flying two drops, to be honest, or, or, or two drops with evasion. And the reason is, is because... I can see play patterns where your opponent's on the play and they play a, a, a Planeswalker on turn three, something like Davriel or something like that, that's going to get full value out of two or three minuses. And having the ability to play a two drop to potentially remove that Planeswalker on the other side of the battlefield so they only get one activation out of it, I think is a real thing. So I would I would be aware that this this could be a card that blue decks want, maybe out of the board against a lot of Planeswalkers or just as a two drop and just suck it up and just say like look i could be playing a two two for two instead i'm going to play a one for two two one one two for two with evasion um i don't think it's great but i don't think it's unplayable i think is where i'm coming down on that yeah i i agree with the d but like the thing you have to remember davriel's a great example is like if this removes one activation from davriel you've basically given them that activation because you're playing a one two flyer in your deck uh which is functionally the same as discarding a card Uh, But I'll agree with Dave. It is playable in some circumstances. That makes it a D. Okay. Spark Double is three and a blue for an OO. Enters the battlefield as a copy of 
target creature or planeswalker you control, except it enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. And if the thing you're copying is legendary, you get to keep both. Why can't this copy anything on the battlefield for four mana? Because it'd be really busted, and you'd automatically first pick it, and it'd be great. So are you ever going to put this in? I don't think I'm ever going to play this. I probably won't get to, um, although I, I would put it in the deck. Like We saw a card very similar to this in the core set. Uh, it was a three-mana 1-1 one, one with this text. And like the card wasn't unplayable. It's just that I wasn't willing to pick it as highly as other people were. And I saw it do some absurd things on the other side of the board. And I also won games against opponents who had cards left in their hand. And I'm like, yeah, you were just too proud to play a three-mana 1-1. One, one. Um, so like be aware clone effects typically in the past have been very powerful, but one of the reasons why is you could copy the best creature on your opponent's side of the board as well. And you cannot do that with spark double. Uh, you can only copy your own creatures, uh, or planeswalkers. So just bear that in mind when you're going to play this. I think that all adds up to a card that's like, I don't know, at the very least, uh, variance is a thing here. I ended up writing it at a C minus. Uh, but like I said, because of that, that means I'll never get to play with this card. I'm probably on like D plus. I think I would maybe look to play it in a deck that had like 16 or 17 creatures and planeswalkers. And, you know, I would reliably be able, be able to play this on four on turn four as like a three, three or four, four. Yeah. And then like, if you top deck it later, potentially it gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spellkeeper weird impressed me as we played with it. It was two and a blue for a one, four, uh, two tap sack return target instant or sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. The one for I like the one for body. You're okay throwing this in front of things and being able to rebuy a good removal spell in like blue black or blue red. I think is very valuable. So I, I like this card quite a bit. Yeah, I ended up putting this one at a C plus, and I think that's about where it goes. And I liked it. Sure. Uh, stealth mission two and a blue for a sorcery. Put two plus one plus one counters on target creature you control. That creature can't be blocked this turn. This is basically heroic downfall. Yeah, exactly. It's the blue heroic downfall. I mean, sideboard it? No, don't put this anywhere near your deck. Every single time my opponent played this, I was thrilled. Really? Yeah. I had people I would, playing 1-1 I would, one, one lifelinks and then playing this and being like, yeah, I got pants. I'm going to do it. It was like, no, I've got balance spells. I've got removal spells. You're not, you're not doing anything. I would bring this in against cards like very good planeswalkers that I, that I couldn't kill, that I had trouble killing. Yeah, so it's it's possible. I ended up writing it a C minus. I think that was a little too high. I think it's actually a D, uh, which does put it in that maybe you're bringing it in from the sideboard sometimes. There's also people sure. who love effects like this, and like if this is your jam, jam on. Uh, sure. Just be aware, like if they kill it, you're really really screwed. Don't you're not doing this for the proliferate because no. there's better ways to get your plus one plus one counters on things. Agreed. Okay. Tamiyo's Epiphany is three and a blue for a sorcery. Scry four, then draw two cards. I foresee this being a card that you'll like quite a bit. Oh, I love I love drawing cards off of this. The Scry four is surprisingly big. It's it's closer to four mana draw three than it is draw two. Yeah, uh, and the joke was this is a functional reprint of a card uh, called Foresee, which was actually really good in its set as well. Um, so I ended up writing this one a C plus just because I don't think you can play like five of these. But I'm putting one in every blue deck and two in most blue decks, and I'm happy about it. Yep. Uh, Teferi's Time Twist is a new dance. Uh, for one in a blue, at instant, exile target permanent you control. Return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. 
If it enters the battlefield as a creature, it enters with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. I think this is the card I'm, I might end up being most wrong about in the end. Do you think I, it's I good? Think, I, I, I think it's not good, not as good as it could be. I think there's some potential here. Um, there's the fact that it blinks planeswalkers, I think is interesting to me. Um, but in a, in, in a strategy where you have a lot of enter the battlefield effects or the plus one, plus one counters are matter. This becomes like a, a negate compared to the Lazatep armor or whatever that, that spell was significantly better. I think obviously that's, that's not a very high bar, but this can be a negate. Sometimes it can be a functional, like rebuy and enter the battlefield effect. Sometimes it can be a functional rebuy planeswalker. Sometimes there are, it, it does a handful of things in the right deck. So I, well, I am thinking about it now as like a D or a D plus. I can see myself facing down a deck that has two of these and being like, holy cow, that was really good. I underrated this card. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I marked this as a D plus in the original review after like getting to see it in action a little bit. I think it's actually a D, um, but I could see people getting some value out of it. It's going to be very deck dependent. Yes, I, I agree. But like, it doesn't go in every deck. But like, if I had a ton of like, if I'm playing blue green and I have a ton, ton of those like uh, four four hulks that proliferate, and, and a couple of planeswalkers, and maybe like a few of the Avens, why not? I mean, sure, right? Like, this goes up in value, right? If I have four enter the battlefield effects and a couple of planeswalkers, this I think this becomes a pretty good card. Yeah, well, I think it becomes a playable card at that point. Okay. Uh, Thunder, Thunder, Thunder Drake is three and a blue for a two three flyer. When you cast your second spell each turn. Put a plus two. Put a plus one plus one counter on Thunder Drake. It was surprisingly easy to get two spells in a turn in a blue green deck. Yeah, I, I rated this at a C, thinking, well, it's not going to be that easy to get two spells in a turn, and then it kind of played like a C plus, where I was like, you know, it's not that difficult. Uh, we saw a cycle of creatures that are kind of slightly overcosted, but then if you can do the thing once, they get better, and if you can do the thing twice, they're pretty good. And I think they're all just playable. Like, this is bordering on CC plus for me, but I was pretty happy with this. I think it's a definite C plus for me. Um, a 3-4, is, I think, is the body is surprisingly relevant. Um, plays really well in, in blue-green, obviously. Um, or even in blue-white. Like, getting a plus one, plus one counter on this somehow and then proliferating makes a very difficult creature to deal with. Agree. Okay. Totally lost, we've seen a couple times, is four and a blue for an instant, put target non-land permanent on top of its owner's library. It's it's too much mana. Yeah, it's it's too much mana. That makes it a D for me. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that you can't put this into your deck. It's that you hope you have better things to do. You're not down a card when you do this effect on your opponent, um, but it's never particularly great. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, maybe you play one, but whatever. The next card is a literal wall of text. Uh, wall of Runes is blue for an 0-4 defender when it enters the battlefield scry one. I don't foresee myself ever playing this card. I'm going to give it a D minus. Yeah, it's a D. I, I saw some opponents play it. And again, creatures just got bigger to the point where a zero four just wasn't a good enough blocker. Uh, so I, I think the wall of text is going to stay in my sideboard most often. That that said, maybe if you've got a deck where you're being super defensive, you're interested in this type of effect. Because, um, I mean, it is, you know, four points of toughness for one mana. It just didn't seem to block anything relevant long enough. Yeah, I, I prefer my my O3s or O4s to be able to attack, so... <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. All right. Blue's pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm. you know, all of these colors are pretty sweet. 
I think so. I think the blue just lacks the removal, which is unfortunate. Um, but I really like the flying creatures in blue. So I'm looking to have a primary color that is not blue. And yeah. then have blue as like my support card draw and then some good flyers. Which I think is a good home for blue. I also think this set, uh, so far, and again, it's very limited play experience. I've only gotten one day in. I'm going to be streaming this all day tomorrow. Um, but like so far, this seems like they've tried to do what they did with Avis and Restored, where was, there's a bunch of cool creatures, so we want to keep the removal kind of weakish. Um so that you can actually have your creatures and play with them. But we've also given you some solid options for removal, like Bob Nixilis's cruelty, which we'll get to when we do black. Uh, like there's, th- there's just good stuff happening at all the different rarity levels. And I like that. There's just some real powerhouse commons these days. Like it doesn't feel as flat as other sets. I guess that's the best way to say that. Yeah. I like that. There are good commons, good uncommons in, in, in all the colors we've seen so far. It just makes for some interesting play experiences and like if your opponent drops like a ridiculous rare, you feel like you might still have gain game against it because you have a four three flyer at uncommon, right? And it's like I can just kill that planeswalker, it doesn't matter. So there there's I look forward to seeing how this plays out in draft. I know that there's some people that don't like the sealed as much. Um I really like the sealed that I've done. I'm gonna do a couple more. Um it feels like you're finding the best deck and not necessarily like, you know, if if you open a bomb, great, but like you're really looking for a cohesive, powerful deck. And I look forward to seeing what draft is going to be like when we get there. Yeah, I think if you look at the people who are complaining a lot about Sealed, they're probably the people who often complain about Sealed. Because um, there's a lot of people that just don't like Sealed, and I understand that. Uh, one day we'll have another podcast and talk about Sealed versus Draft, but I, I think that's enough for today. I agree. Well, we're going we're gonna to call it there. So where can they catch you streaming War of the Spark next week? You can find me streaming today as you're listening to it, uh, and next week, of course, at twitch.tv slash simulan. I'm also on Twitter under the same name. And I'm at twitch.tv slash dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. You can catch me on Twitter the same. Once again, thanks to Face to Face Games for the support and the host. We'll catch you next time. Adios.